0: Welcome to Classical Uncovered, a series of podcasts presented by the Melbourne Recital Centre. I'm Graham Abbott. In the last podcast in this series, I talked a bit about the idea of a composer or a piece of music being great, and the habit we sometimes have in classical music of assuming there's an accepted canon of great composers or great works. I then went on to talk about Ludwig van Beethoven and shared a few of my thoughts on why other people might think he's great and, by contrast, why I think he's great. In this podcast, I want to subject another of the really big names in European classical music to this scrutiny, Johann Sebastian Bach. What's so great about Bach? As we found with Beethoven, it's very easy to latch on to one thing about a famous figure and for that to be magnified into a reason for greatness. Beethoven's deafness tends to be the one thing most people know about him, and that then tends to become the simple reason he was great. He wrote music while being deaf. If you listened to the last podcast, you'll have discovered that I think there's a lot more to Beethoven than that simple equation. So what is it about Bach that most people seem to know? Off the top of my head, I'd say there are two things. One is that he had 20 children, and the other is that he had to write a cantata every week. The second of these things could very easily be construed as a reason for greatness. The first, at the very least, might make him qualify for notoriety. But let's examine these two assumptions and then look a bit deeper into the man's qualifications for greatness. Yes, Bach did father 20 children. His first wife, Maria Barbara Bach, was his second cousin. Bach was her maiden name as well as her married name. And in their 13 years of marriage, from 1707 to 1720, she bore her husband seven children. Four of these children were still alive when Maria Barbara died very suddenly while Bach was away in the entourage of his employer, Prince Leopold of Curtin. Eighteen months later, Bach, now aged thirty-six, remarried. His second wife was the twenty-year-old Anna Magdalena Wilke, and she bore the composer thirteen more children between seventeen twenty three and seventeen forty-two. When J.S. Bach died eight years later, only nine of his twenty children were still alive. Ten had died as infants or toddlers, and only one had predeceased him as an adult. Anna Magdalena died in desperate poverty ten years after her husband. It's a very sad story, and one which deserves to be told, primarily because of the story it tells about the two remarkable women Bach married. But when it comes to his work, Bach's greatness or at the very least his energy and industry are held in awe when we're told that he was required by his employer to write and perform a new cantata every week for performance in the Sunday church service. This amazing assertion is very misleading, and it deserves to be clarified. For the last 27 years of his life, from 1723 to 1750, Bach held the post of Thomas Cantor in Leipzig, Based at St Thomas's Church, this was one of the most prestigious church posts in the Lutheran world, and the demands of the job were extreme. He was responsible for the music in not one, but four churches, and two of these, St Thomas and St Nicholas, regularly required a cantata for performance during the morning service each Sunday, as well as on major feast days. Each church alternated each week as to which had the cantata performance, but the other church still needed other music to be rehearsed and performed by the choir and instrumentalist Spark employed as well. On high feast days, the cantata was performed in both churches, in the morning service at one church and in the afternoon service at the other. Bach's job also required him to be de facto musical director for the whole city, overseeing music for secular occasions as well. He also taught in St Thomas's school, oversaw the maintenance of all the organs and did much else besides. But even though Bach had to provide a cantata each week for those 27 years, he certainly didn't have to compose one each week, and the cantata was not always required to be new. The Cantata, a musical work lasting between 15 and 40 minutes for voices and instruments, which illuminated the theme of the Bible readings and sermon for the day, was almost always written for a particular day in the church calendar. And Bach's aim was to build up a repertoire, mostly of his own music, but occasionally by others, for each of those days. In his first couple of years in Leipzig, he really did write a new cantata almost every week in order to build up this repertoire. After that, he could afford to repeat one occasionally as it wouldn't have been heard for a year or two. After four or five years, he had at least three cantatas to choose from for every Sunday and feast day, so the incredible pace of composition he set himself in the first two years in Leipzig was relaxed quite a bit. It's still an incredible achievement, but the picture we're often given of Bach working at this frenetic pace for decades is a long way from the truth. So this brings us back to our original question, what's so great about Bach? The first thing which needs to be answered is, which Bach? Put simply, the Bachs comprise the most spectacular musical dynasty the world has ever known. From the early 16th century to the mid-19th century, there were Bach musicians all over the German states, mostly but not exclusively in church posts, and often further afield as well. I've managed to count at least 77 Bach musicians spanning seven generations over those three and a half centuries, and Johann Sebastian, by far the most famous and illustrious of them, comes more or less smack bang in the middle. This lineage was a cause of great family pride, and J.S. Bach himself drew up a family tree of the musical Bachs in 1735, which even then contained 53 names. So, assuming we're talking about Johann Sebastian Bach, I'd claim that he deserves the label of great for three reasons, quite apart from everything I've already mentioned. The first of these is the sheer intellectual brilliance of his music, Bach was probably only educated fairly basically in terms of his schooling, but his mind was capable of the most mind-boggling complexity and depth when it came to creating music. He was the acknowledged master of counterpoint, that method of musical composition which combines multiple layers or voices into a web of complex, interrelated strands while at the same time making a pleasing and satisfying experience for the listener. Writing a multi-voiced fugue or canon is, for most composers and students, a tedious, exhausting and frustrating task. For Bach, it seems to have been as easy as writing a letter. But he went further. In The Art of Fugue and The Musical Offering, he set himself the challenge of writing multiple fugues and canons on a single theme, which is heard the right way up, upside down, backwards, and even backwards and upside down at the same time, in half tempo and quarter tempo, again simultaneously, and even in different national styles. There are pieces which can be played backwards note for note and which still sound perfectly satisfying. And on it goes. Bach's music displays a brilliant and unique intellect which fills us with awe. But then there's the second reason I think Bach's great. Despite all this intellectual brilliance, he still wrote music which is beautiful. Even in the very midst of a mirror canon or an inverted fugue, Bach's music is listenable, attractive, interesting. The true genius is evident when you discover that it's possible to love Bach's music and not be aware of any of these dazzling intellectual features at all. They're there for those who want to find them, but you can still love the music if you don't. Being able to write music which simultaneously appeals to the specialist and the amateur is a rare gift. One of Bach's sons, Carl Philipp Emanuel Bach, consciously did this, as did a composer who learned a lot from the younger Bach, Josef Haydn. But perhaps no one did it to such a high degree as Johann Sebastian. The third reason I believe J.S. Bach qualifies for greatness is a bit harder to define, but it's the sheer breadth of his music and the fact that he wrote superbly across every genre of his day except opera. The cantatas and the larger church works like The Passions are dramatic yet intimate, universal yet personal, and every note is perfectly placed and poised. The same could be said of the music for organ, for harpsichord, for solo instruments and chamber ensembles, for orchestral groups. Whether he was writing for a church service or a duke's hunting party, Bach's music works. It has drive when it needs drive. It has repose when it needs repose. It makes us think of eternity when needed, and, dare I say it, it can even make us laugh on occasion. I guess what I'm trying to say is Bach's music is universal, and when taken on his terms rather than ours, reveals to us emotions and ideas we might not otherwise have experienced. Of course, Bach isn't unique in that respect. The same could be said of many of the other great names in music history, but Bach seems to do it in a way that no one else does. So, what music of Bach's can I suggest you listen to in order to maybe understand him a little more? That's a tough one, because even though we know a lot of his music has been lost, there are still well over a thousand works in the Bach catalogue. What I suggest here has to be a personal and very selective list. For the Bach, which delights and brings joy, try the A Major Harpsichord Concerto, BWV 1055. And for a concerto in a more serious vein, which is no less delightful, I'd suggest the A minor violin concerto, BWV 1041. In the church cantatas, there are 200 to choose from. And if German isn't your language, then do consider following a translation of the words as you listen. It'll make the experience so much more meaningful. On an intimate scale is a sublime cantata for solo bass, voice and orchestra. Ich will den Kreuzdab gerne tragen, BWV 56. At the other end of the spectrum is a spectacular Christmas cantata. Gelobet seist du Jesu Christ, BWV 91. Among Bach's organ works, the famous, some might say infamous, Toccata and Fugue in D minor, BWV 565, is now believed by many not to be by Bach at all. In fact, it might not even have been originally written for the organ. Bach's skill as a composer for his own instrument is revealed wonderfully in so many of the organ works, though. I'd recommend listening to the Prelude and Fugue in D, BWV 532. The fifth of the so-called French suites, G major, BWV 816, gives a lovely indication of Bach in a much more intimate mode in writing for the harpsichord. And the harpsichord works are often played on the piano, which works for me too. Rest assured, any music by J.S. Bach listened to with open ears will be rewarding. It's a lifetime's task. I'm very grateful to Duncan Yardley for the technical production of these podcasts, I'm Graham Abbott, and I hope you can join me for the next Classical Uncovered very soon.